You've tuned in to TV You Grew Up With, where we interview the people who created the greatest TV shows ever made. Here's your host, Jim Harold. Welcome to TV You Grew Up With. I am Jim Harold, and so glad to be with you. Now, the word icon is thrown out a lot and overused. But in this case, the person we're talking with, the, the character her, she portrayed, icon is exactly the right term. You might look it up in a dictionary and you'd see a picture of Marianne from Gilligan's Island, certainly an iconic character. And we're talking to the actress who breathed life into Marianne and has made her a character for the ages. We're talking about our guest today, Dawn Wells. Now, Dawn is a native of Reno, Nevada. She attended Stevens College in Missouri before going on to represent Nevada in the Miss America pageant. She found success in Hollywood immediately afterward, appearing in such classic TV shows as 70 Suns as Sunset Strip, uh, Maverick, Bonanza, and Hawaiian Eye. She was later cast in the role of a lifetime as Marianne in Gilligan's Island, beating out 350 other actresses, including Raquel Welch. I did not know that. <laughs> so since then uh, and after Gilligan's Island, she's continued acting on the stage and screen, uh, producing films, and she's been uh, active in a number of charities. Today we're going to talk about Gilligan's Island, of course, but we're going to talk about uh, a newer project, her recent book, What Would Mary Ann Do? A Guide to Life. Dawn Wells, welcome to the program today. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. So... <sighs> I, I've got to ask you, and I, I usually, when I talk to someone who has uh, had a character like this and, and been on a classic show like this, at the time, did you have any idea whatsoever that this would be so big in your life and in the, in the life of so many other people? Well, not at all, because the critics hated it. They thought it was the stupidest thing, the stupidest show that they had ever heard of. So basically, uh, nobody really had much hope for it, except Sherwood Schwartz, our producer. Everybody thought it was so silly. However, when they tested it for the uh, audience reaction, it was the biggest audience reaction CBS had ever had. So they put us on the air. And I think Sherwood said to us at one point, our producer, well, don't expect any residuals or any reruns. Well, they didn't have residuals then. But don't expect any reruns. We probably won't even go in color. We probably won't last more than six weeks. And we're the longest-running show in the history of television. We, we were produced 50 years ago, if you can stand it. 50 years. So they knew something we didn't, I guess. Well, the reruns, I got to tell you, they did happen because that's where I picked up on the show as a kid in the 70s. I know the show has always been possible. Uh, you know, popular with younger kids and so forth. That's where I picked up on it. And I've got to say, and I know you've heard this a million times, so make this a million one. Ginger, Marianne, no insult to Tina Louise whatsoever. Marianne all the way. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? And that's the reason I wrote the book. I mean, most of the people, fans, when you go and do personal appearances and things, most of the men say, I married a Marianne. I married, I might have dated a ginger, but I married a Marianne. And I, I think there was, in that character, there was a moral compass, common sense, reason, all of those things that I think are kind of hard to hang on to today with what's going on on the Internet with your children and everything. So I think that's probably one of the reasons that character has sustained so long. There isn't a Marianne on television anymore, is there? I don't think so. No, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Now, uh, let's go back to Marianne a little bit, and then I do want to talk about the book. Um the audition process. Now, this was a revelation to me as I was researching this. You were up against many, many other actresses, including Raquel Welsh, who went on to become, you know, kind of the sex bomb of the 60s. Uh, 
Tell us about that process uh, and, and what that was like. Well, it, it was very interesting because we were three replacements. They made the original show with three school teachers. And when CBS bought it, they said, that's fine, but let's rewrite. Let's make them more interesting than just three school teachers. So they created a Marianne Ginger and a professor. And then everybody auditioned. Ginger, I don't know that she auditioned. She was cast in New York. And I don't know what that process was in New York, but in Los Angeles at CBS TV Center, there were about 350 people, uh, everybody auditioning uh, all the characters, not all the skip or whatever, but the three characters they were casting, trying to get chemistry, trying to see kind of what goes, you know, and it went on for about a week. And I was very, I, I knew what Marianne was. I think she should be in Gingham. I knew she was the farm girl from Kansas. That's all. My title was, you had title of movie star and professor and millionaires, but Marianne just came from Kansas. So I knew who she was, but you were testing with every other ingenue in town. And um, every day I'd wear a little gingham top and uh, Ethel Winant, who was the vice president of CBS, and I agreed on the hairdo and all that kind of stuff, having no idea that I was going to get it. You never do know. And I understand that um, Raquel Welch came in the last day to audition. I never saw her. Uh, and I've heard that rumor. I didn't see her, but she would have been a better ginger than she would have been a Marianne, but I don't know if she did that BC thing with the the fur bathing suit by then either, so I I don't know. (laughs) I think that came along later. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'd like to talk to her and see, did you really audition for it? Because, of course, the press picks that up. They pick up the strangest things. They pick up the fact that I'm the only one that made a million dollars in residuals. I said, I didn't make 10 cents. Where did that come from? <laughs> I mean, you just never know what is out there. Half of it you can't believe. So I don't know about Raquel. I did not make a million dollars. I don't know what else I can say. <laughs> well, uh, uh, tell us a little bit about your, your fellow cast members now. Uh, un- unfortunately, the, the majority of them have passed on, but uh, there had to be some great chemistry there to, to come up with that kind of magic. Oh, I think so. I think the cast was absolutely perfectly cast. The professor and I were very close because we were, and the rest, the first year. You know, I was going to mention that. The first year yeah. of the show, the, the theme song said, and the rest. And now that you'd be kind of a slap in the face. And the next year, I kind of said, aha, we better make sure that we, we mention these folks because they're, they're making quite a contribution. Well, and what it was, I think Ginger was cast first before the professor and myself. And her agent said she's in fifth position billing, means she comes after the Howells and nobody after her. So they had to say, and the rest. After the first year, two or three people take credit for that. Gilligan takes credit saying, listen, it's silly. There's only seven people. John Rich, one of our directors, said, no, no, it has to be Marianne and the professor. And I think Sherwood stepped up to the plate and, and gave us the billing. Maybe they had to pay her. I never thought about that until a couple of weeks ago. Maybe they had to pay her in order to her to relinquish that contract. I don't know. <laughs> well, you were talking about before I interrupted you so rudely. You were talking about the chemistry of the cast. Well, and I think I really do think that's part of it. You know, you'll see a lot of shows like you watch the Oh I Love Lucy show. Every single person in that I Love Lucy was important. Yeah. Every single person was a chemistry. There's some of the other old shows. You know, I don't know, like the Beverly Hillbillies was such a caricature. But I think it's important to get the unit, and I think we had it. And I think everybody that was doing their role did it superbly. We had a good cast. The, the, the plots were silly and, and crazy and totally unrealistic. But but we were happy doing it, and I think that reads to an audience. We were having fun, and you had fun. <laughs> yeah, you, when you look at somebody, uh, 
and these these actors did uh, right down the line. Every one of them did such a good job, and I would agree some of the plots were a little silly. My question was, you know, the professor can make a nuclear generator out of a coconut, but you can't fix a three-foot hole in a bolt. A boat. That's but, right. But, <laughs> and his comment, we were speaking at uh, MIT one day, and he entered, he ended his speech with, now I'm just going to ask you gentlemen sitting out there, would you want to get off an island when you had two beautiful women there? Come on. There you go. There you go. I mean, <laughs> I can't fix answer. it. That's, that's it. But, but that being said... You know, yes, sometimes the plots were silly, but the, if you think about it, the actors and actresses right down the line did such a good job of making you, I mean, Bob Denver, you know, and I think for probably all of those actors, to some extent, it was a blessing and a curse because they did such a good job convincing you that they were Thurston Howell or Ginger or Mary Ann or the Skipper or Gilligan um, or Lovey uh, that it was probably hard to, to bust out of that a little bit uh, because well, you're so, so. well and identified. I, I, yeah, well, you are. But Bob Denver, you know, he did mayored in, in uh, what was the name of that show he did? Uh, the the uh, Many Maynard Lives of uh, Do- no. Dobie Gillis. Dobie Gillis? Am I thinking? Maynard Krebs. He was in uh, The Many Loves of Dobie Gillis, I think it was. No. What was it, Leonard? What was the name of that show? I can't think of it. Uh, that, that Bob did where he played Maynard G. Krebs. Well, there couldn't be more opposite than Gilligan. But he had such a physical ability to fall out of trees and go up and down holes. And, you know, his little body just became, I don't know, he was just brilliant. And everybody else was really dynamite in their character. I know that uh, Alan Hale had done a Western. Russell had played the bad guy all the time. He said, I, I, I never got cast as a good guy. And after Gilligan's Allen, he said, now they won't cast me as a bad guy. Ginger, of course, was glamorous and beautiful, and she just fit that perfectly. Mrs. Howell was, Natalie Schaefer was quite a, quite a film star in the 40s, and she came from Wall Street and all of that. So she was, she was a definite Mrs. Howell, and of course Jim Backus was as well. So I, I, the casting was perfect, and sometimes you don't have that. And also we liked each other, and we thought we were having a good time. We were happy, and that reads too. If somebody, uh, I've seen many a series where one of the actors wants to leave, and they're sort of, I don't know, everything is adversarial you know we don't have that you 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 looked at us we were having a good time so you had a good time (laughs) exactly and the thing that's really remarkable and then i want to start talking about your book a little bit is the fact that this is generation after generation after generation after generation that that's been impacted by this this is our 50th year yeah and and they didn't think we'd last six weeks that's right it's three generations and it's one of the reasons we'll get to the book but it's one of the reasons because people say, I'm married to Marianne, and they bring their 12-year-old girl, child, boy or girl, to meet us because it's something a family can enjoy. And there's no dating it. There's no cars or clothes that tell you it was in the 60s or the 70s or the 80s. You think it's happening today if you're watching it for the first time. So he really had something. I, I think Sherwood Schwartz really created something that's quite special. And and I did research it. My, our crack research staff here looked it up. The Many Loves of Dobie Gillis, which ran from 1959 to 1963, and uh, Bob Denver was indeed in it. So I did double check that. Manager I couldn't. Crimp. You yes, played yeah. Manager Crimp, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the the one thing I have to ask about, I I've, I heard about this. I know Barbara Eden had the same issue with I Dream of Jeannie. You could not expose your navel. You had short nope. shorts, but you couldn't expose your navel because of censors. 
Well, that was the first short shorts on television, too. I don't know how they got away with that. But you couldn't expose my navel, or Ginger couldn't show her cleavage. I think what it was, only more than three seconds at the show, and Sherwood used to laugh, and he'd say, my wife said, how was your day, dear, yesterday? And he said, well, fine, but five times I was called down to the set saying, we've got five seconds of Mary Ann's navel. What do we cut so we don't see it? I mean, now look what's on television. You know, you had twin beds. Yeah. Dick Van Dyke and Mary Tyler Moore had twin beds. The Howells had twin beds. It's all a different... It's a different generation now. Oh, it, was, it was quite, uh, we were quite watched by the censors. So the book, What Would Marianne Do? A Guide to Life. What was really the, you know, the, the, the guiding light behind doing this? Is this something you've been thinking about doing for, uh, for a while? I know you said you don't think there's as many Marianne's out there these days. Um, how'd that process get started? Well, I, I, I think that everybody keeps saying, write a story about yourself, and I didn't want to write an autobiography particularly, but I really do think because of the fans, because I'm in, I'm in all of these autograph shows all over, and you meet hundreds of people, and they all come up and say, Marianne was my favorite. As a nine-year-old, I was in love with her. As a 15-year-old, she would have been my first crush. And, and you see that there was a value to that, and Marianne was the moral compass of the island. She made sure everybody got along. She cooked, she helped, she was, we got to skip her on a diet, you know, she was very much, uh, very open, and, and I'm thinking those values today are very tough because our families are different. We have divorced people now, you know, you've got multiple families living together, and both parents have to work because the economy is tough, and, and now the kids are in their rooms with the door closed doing something electronic, so where did the manners go? Or wh- what about uh, starting a job and getting it finished? Why do you have to be first in line? What, what is it about our upbringing that makes us more selfish? And I think it's just the, the, the moral compass that I think we all were raised by. We just get lost sometimes. And it's not a preachy book at all. It's just, it's practical. And I think, uh, you know, we've got a moral compass going in every direction. You don't know where to go. You've got a four-year-old in your arm or an eight-year-old in your arm, and a bus goes by with an advertisement of a topless girl. Or, or, or a television show's got the, the, the dirty word, but, but your door's closed, but they can hear it. So it's, you can't protect anybody, so you have, to, you have to, how do you live in today? What would Marianne be doing today? You know, what would be her moral compass today? It's not exactly the same, but there is right and wrong. There are manners. There is, there is a responsibility that you take on when you're studying or when you have a job. I was listening to, a, they had a, an article or an interview with, seven of the most successful people in the world or something. Mm-hmm. And one of the men said, they said, what stands out in your mind that made you go that direction? And he said, it was my mother when I was age four. When I was age four, I wanted a glass of milk. She was doing the dishes. She said, George, whatever his name was, you can get it yourself. So he opened the refrigerator and took the bottle of milk out and spilled it all over the floor. And his mother's reaction was, oh, well, you're going to have to clean it up anyway. Play in it for a while if you want to. And he said, that's stuck in my mind. And when you stop and think about that and simplify that a little bit, we all make mistakes. We all do something wrong along the way. Does it defeat us? Does it make us cry? Does it make us do it better? He even got to play in it for a few minutes, <laughs> you know? So maybe you look at all sides of something. And I really do think that, 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 that rang a bell with me. Uh, one thing that I think is interesting about Marianne, and we touched on it earlier, this idea you couldn't show your navel, you had to be very demure, and you, you couldn't really uh, show a lot of skin, as it were. Uh, but still, so many men, and I, I only mean this in the nicest way, found uh, 
uh, Marianne, incredibly appealing. So uh, you have a chapter here called The Allure of Being Alluring. Um, uh, and I don't know if this plays into it, but now you have actresses who, you know, basically, you know, leave nothing to the imagination. But I don't think they're anywhere near as attractive as Marianne. Um, can, you, can you speak to that? And do you speak to that in the book? Well, I think, I, think there's, I, I think there's always something that you don't see that's more titillating. And I think that Marianne would have been your friend first. Uh, it wasn't just lust. Now, you feel the lust for Ginger because she's gorgeous, but it also intimidates you if you're 10 years old. And I think you're, maybe the beginning of your sexuality, I had uh, Nick Nolte once said to me, you got me through puberty in the nicest of ways. <laughs> <laughs> pretty, pretty good sentence, isn't it? But it's pretty true. I mean, she could be, she'd be the girl you'd have a crush on, not a nude picture of somebody covering your wall. And I don't know how a parent does it today. It's very difficult. But I do think everybody wants, that's the marrying kind. That would be your steady girlfriend. I mean, I, I think that that's universal. Over generations, really. Um, you talk in the book about manners. Um what are your thoughts on manners? Where do we lose them along the way? Can we get them back? Oh, I think so. And I, I think there's nothing wrong with being saying please and thank you and writing a thank you note and all that. When you realize that as you mature a little bit, you realize what a difference it makes. I still am floored when I get a handwritten note. Somebody writes me, you know, if I'm not well or it's a birthday or something, that there's a note there. And, and I always say, I ran a film actress boot camp up in Idaho for seven years, and I said, the first thing you do when you finish that audition is write a thank you note, handwritten, and send it to the producer or the casting director or whatever. We all like to be recognized. We all like to be appreciated. And that's what manners are. Well, don't you let the old lady get into the bus first? Wouldn't you hold a door with a woman carrying 100 groceries? Wouldn't you, if something drops, pick it up for someone? And I think what it is, is it takes you out of yourself. Manners take you away from just who you are. Manners take you away to belonging to civilization. And I think, you know, it's hard. Mothers and fathers are both working. And my mother worked. I was raised by a mother alone, but my mother and father were good friends. They were divorced. But my mother never took a job that she did, couldn't be home when I got home from school. Nowadays, I mean, we used to play kickball out in the street and somebody would say, your mom's looking for you. It's 8 o'clock. You better get home. Nobody does it. It's not being raised by the neighborhood anymore. So it's, it's more difficult. I'm not criticizing. It's just more difficult. And now they're seeing everything on television that they want to be. These little girls want to be Kim Kardashian. You know, that's, they think that's where they should go. Uh, fortunately, they will grow out of that, I hope. I, I, not that there's anything wrong with her. But, but, uh, and she's a very smart woman. I'm not saying that. But it isn't all about looks and money and all of that kind of stuff, which advertising and television seems to shove down your throat. We didn't have that. We read, read old books, Nancy Drew, and all that kind of stuff. Very different. And it's harder. I mean, I admire anybody. I'm fascinated with the fans that I meet, and they bring their 14- and 15-year-olds around. I'm fascinated that the, the parents... I raised the parents, you see, and they're trying to pass that on. And I think that's really, I think Sherwood Schwartz did a very good thing. And I'm very proud to have been part of that. As an actress, Marianne was pretty easy for me because it's pretty much me. My mother raised a Marianne, didn't realize that's what she was doing, but she did. But I always wanted to come, you know, after I got off the, the show, my first role I did was I played a hooker. I played a hooker who was, had a heart of gold, but I wanted to break that image as far as the acting ability is concerned. But I couldn't be more proud of a character that's loved worldwide. I can't go anywhere in the world. And we've never been off the air since 1964. That's amazing. 
30 languages. I can't imagine the theme song in Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I've got to ask you this, and maybe you have, but wouldn't you just want to play the nastiest character? I mean, for example, um, I remember Larry Hagman being interviewed. Uh, this is years ago, and this tells you I'm in my mid-40s, so I was following this stuff a long time ago. And he was talking about, I think about the Waltons or something, and God bless the Waltons, I just did an interview with Judy Norton, who was absolute delight, played Mary Ellen on that great show. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> but nevertheless, he, he said something like, he was being interviewed, this is very early on, like Entertainment Tonight or something, this is the early 80s, and he's like, oh, all these people loving and hugging and kissing and... Uh, good night, John Boy. It's enough to make you want to throw up. I mean, that's that's what he said, and and I think he was playing to the playing to the popularity of the show this time, playing to the the uh, uh, the Jr. character. But the point is, did you ever just want to play somebody? And maybe you have somebody absolutely evil, a murderer, somebody who is just vile and wretched, just to, just to kind of. Uh, oh, of course. Oh, yeah. and as an actress, you want to play as opposite of anything you've done. That's what I said when I went back and played a hooker. But of course, I played her as vulnerable. Right. The poor thing, you know, rather than somebody really mean. I've never really played anybody that was a real nasty person, but I don't know where you draw from that. But uh, maybe it's a bad temper that you come up with or, or, or something. I think that, that everybody always wants to show that you have a variety of talent. You know, I mean, I'd love to be able to ballet, dance, and jazz or something, <laughs> you know. So one thing you talk about in the book, uh, so you want to be in show business. What are your thoughts for somebody who says, you know, maybe they watch Marianne, maybe they're young and they watch Marianne and say, I want to do that, or or somebody else and say, I want to do that. What are your words of wisdom for them? Well, I, I'd say that you need training. I think that's why I, I, I ran a film actors boot camp. You come to me with your talent. You come to me with having studied, so you know how to dissect a script. You know how to bring a character to life that's just written on a page. You know what the steps are. It's not just, oh, I'm going to read this and it sounds funny. There's a, lot of, there's a process of, of discovering what you're really saying and what does the author mean and all of that. Uh, and I think no matter where you are or what stage in life, that's what's, that's what's exciting. So I would say to you, it isn't about being pretty and wanting to be in the movies at all. That's not it. It is your craft. And, and acting is a craft, as is playing the cello, as is a ballet. It's an art form. And, it, and yes, some people come by it easily. And some people come by it because what, what reads on camera, you may not be able to be a stage actor, what reads on camera is intimate. It's behind your eyes. You can't fool much of that. You know, when that camera's right on you and you're saying something, it's reading what's going on in your head. I think it's a little harder to do stage, but um, it's it's a craft. And I would say if you if you want to be in show business, learn it. And I used to say to my kids, where do you fit? You're never going to cast me as a tall, slim Swedish maid. I don't <laughs> care how much. You're just not going to buy it coming from me. So you'd have to know where you fit. Uh, and, and, and you study and try to do all those other characters because that teaches you the, the art of controlling the, I mean, the learning the scripts, et cetera. But it really isn't where you fit, and it is where you fit. You know, you can fool somebody 30 feet away from the stage. You can't fool somebody close up on a camera. And that kind of ties back into Marianne, because I think there's a certain genuineness to that character. Well, I think so, too. And it's very funny. I was raised in Reno, Nevada. I was raised in Reno, Nevada, where there's prostitution, gambling, divorce. (laughs) Where did Marianne come from? A little farm town in Kansas. So there is a difference. But my mother raised me as a Marianne. I had responsibilities. I had to get good grades. I was disciplined. I was a, my mother was a nice person. I was a nice person. So I, I, I think who, who you are inside 
the more the more depth you have inside, the better actor you are. I think. I wanted to ask you about a couple of the a couple of the members of the the crew there at Gilligan's Island. I was just uh, preparing for this. I was watching a little clip that uh, you had done quite a few years ago, probably I'm guessing about 25 years ago, with Bob Denver on the Pat uh, Sajak uh, talk show. Um, okay. Talk talk about Bob Denver because he seemed like uh, quite a special guy. Very very different than you'd expect, especially when he did Maynard and when he did Gilligan. You 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 think of Bob as being a comedian. And he was, uh, but very smart, very into uh, environment, didn't use pesticides uh, way before it was all popular, you know, all of that. Very, very, very smart. Very, very different than what you'd expect. And very private. I was one of the few people that had been invited to his home. He didn't share much of his, his personal life. Uh, I remember, if you remember the Jack and the Beanstalk episode, mm-hmm. uh, his little boy Patrick, who was five, played Bob, and Bob play. You know, when 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 the giant was there right. with Alan, his little five year old, and and I said, could Patrick spend the weekend with me? He said, sure, but he's probably not going to take off the outfit. Just go ahead and let him sleep in it. So he slept in the hat and the pants and the t shirt. And then when he when he left him to, to when when I took him home, he got down on his knees. He said, now Patrick, instead of saying, mind your manners, go to bed when you're supposed to. He said, now Patrick. You give Marianne lots of love. So you see where he came from. Sometimes he'd come in and he'd look exhausted. And I'd say, Bobby, what's up? He said, well, I was up till 3 o'clock in the morning. We built a spider farm, and we had to name the spiders. So he was a child at heart. Very, very bright, but a child at heart. And I think that's why you loved him. No matter what he did wrong, you yeah, I, I mean that character was so so lovable. You know, it's sometimes yeah. you'd even yeah. be in exasperation. Oh no, they're not asking Gilligan to do that. But uh, yeah. you know, in the end, you'd know that his heart was in the right place. And he only wanted to do good things for people. Russell Russell Johnson wrote the uh, the, the professor. Russell Johnson uh, wrote the foreword to your book. Unfortunately, he passed not that oh, long ago. Last year, I know. Yeah, tell tell us about him. Well, we used to always say love the rest on postcards to each other and birthday cards to each other because the first year we were at the rest. And Russell was probably would, would surprise you because he had the best sense of humor. He was by far the funniest off camera. Uh, very, very witty. You would think Jim would be back as he was, but, uh, but it was, Jim was on. Russell, it just came out of him. And he always played a bad guy. This is the first time he played a nice guy. And then when the show was over, he said, nobody ever cast me as a bad guy again. I just adored him. He was a, he was a wonderful, wonderful man. Well, uh, and Jim Backus, you you mentioned him, of course, uh, you know, about the same time I was watching Gilligan's Island growing up, I was watching Mr. Magoo as well. And then there's this great, uh, and I'm sure you've heard it, Jim Backus, it's a recording and uh, it's like, it sounds like it's a, it must've been done in the sixties, I'm guessing. And it's a record and it's the strangest thing. I, uh, I think he's saying marvelous or fabulous. And it's just him and a woman in a party saying this and saying it in different ways. I can't remember the name of it, but it was the oddest thing, but uh, I heard it on one of these old radio comedy shows. And I thought it was just, I never heard him even talking about it. Yeah. I'll have to look that up and let you know what that is. And he was actually born in, in my hometown, Cleveland, Ohio, what was uh, what was Jim like? Um, vulnerable. He was vulnerable. Um, he was sweet. He was uh, on a lot, but it came from his soul. You know, he wasn't trying to fool you. He was on a lot. He was very. He called his wife every night before he left the studio, just make sure that she knew he was leaving. 
Uh, he was funny. Of course he was funny and witty, but didn't feel he had to be every minute. Some comedians just keep you going all the time. Don Rickles did our show, and he, he did it in four days instead of five, and Sherwood said if it had been the five days, I don't think we could have hired him because you can't keep laughing five days in a row because <laughs> even in between takes, Don Rickles would be doing his humor. Jim was... was um, Needy, I'd say, very dependent upon his wife, very sweet, um, good actor, and I say most proud of, of Rebel Without a Cause. That was his favorite thing because he got yeah he, that was the most proud. Of course, you wouldn't expect him to be cast, so he was so thrilled. And when you were talking about the Mr. Magoo thing, he used to say to us, "Well, you know, when I was doing Mr. Magoo and I was ad libbing and we were mumbling when I was going off stage, he said I was saying every dirty word you ever heard." Well. <laughs> After he said that, of course, we could never find a copy of the Mr. Magoo, so we don't know whether it was true or not. <laughs> and by the way, I looked it up while you were giving that answer. The name of the song, I guess, or recording, you it's Delicious, and it's actually apparently on YouTube, Jim Backus and Friend, Delicious from 1958, oh. and it's just him and this woman. They're at a party. They're obviously <laughs> getting a little uh, uh, social lubrication with some drinks, and uh, they're saying Delicious back in forth and it's it's actually quite funny and quite strange but anyway so how I, do i hear that where do i hear uh, that? YouTube, you do it? youtube youtube it's on, yeah, look, look up jim backus jim backus and delicious yeah i'm just and looking delicious. at yeah i'm looking at it right okay. here and they just say delicious over and over see i taught marianne something about jim yes, backus you did, and i'm surprised he didn't tell us <laughs> oh that is wild well uh Don Wells, I've got to say that it's been a real honor. You know, when I started doing this show, because I've been, for people listening to this who don't know, I've been podcasting for 10 years, recently started this show. And um, it's just um, a real honor to get to pe- talk to people like Don and, and just uh, people that I grew up. Uh, thus the name of the show tv you grew up with don where can people find out i know you have a website i know you're on facebook where can people find out more about you and also pick up this book what would marianne do a guide to life well you can go to barnes and noble or you can go to amazon.com or you can go to don wells or your local bookstore if they still have some or you can go to donwells.com and request it and i will personalize it you know to john or joe or betty or whatever um it's it's we're into a reprint right now. We've got some still left, but we're into a reprint. It's it's something that I think it's a great gift to to, to read to your children or to give it to a uh, your niece or your nephew or a grandchild or something and read it together. It's a, it's I'm very proud of it. It's a good book. It's a light read. It's fun, and uh, it took me quite a while. It isn't a, it isn't a life story. I'm right in the middle of a cookbook now. I'm doing Ooh. a home cooking. Mary, I, t- I made one years ago, but. I'm a good cook, and Marianne was a really good cook, so I'm doing home cooking. And some of the Facebook friends have given me their recipes. That's kind of fun. And and, and it's, you know, I, I think when, when you're artistic in some sense, you're artistic in every sense. I mean, I love to watch dance. I'm not real good at music because I can't sing, so I'm not real good about knowing somebody's really on pitch or not. I'm not good at that. But I love to paint, and I love to cook, and I think that all of us have ways of expressing ourselves, whether you're throwing a football or... Or, or, or writing, or a good mathematician. I think that we all have a little bit of a blessing, and I feel uh, grateful that I had the opportunity to. I want to be a ballerina. My knee's dislocated, so I'm I'm grateful that I went into acting. I think if I had to do it over again, I might be a geneticist. I might like to talk about the genes. I was very fascinated with medicine, and I think I might go back to school and maybe be a pediatric surgeon or go into genetics. I don't know. 
There you go. Well, check out her book, What Would Marianne Do? A Guide to Life. I know it's on Amazon. I'm assuming it's at good bookstores everywhere, as you you, you said. And, uh, and again, DawnWells.com. If yes. the bookstores are out of it, you can write to me. I'll give yes. it to you. Okay. Check out her website as well. Don Wells, truly, you're just as nice as Marianne, and it was so nice to meet you. Well, so nice to hear from you, and thank you so much. You're a really good interviewer. Have a great life from now on. I will do my best, and you the same. And we will talk to you next time on TV You Grew Up With. Please stay tuned and subscribe in iTunes. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.